out there listening, a very warm White Cat welcome as you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's uh, episode 17 now. We've been grinding out for 17 weeks now, so thanks for sticking around with us. Uh, you got White here, and Tom's deciding to join us today, as he usually does. Yep. Glad to be here, everyone. And Nick's with us, too. Hey, what's going on? And since it's Corona season, as you all know, everyone's been self-quarantining and uh, social distancing and whatnot, we haven't been able to have any guests on for a while. So we decided to do a little phone thing this week. So uh, this is our first time with it, so bear with us. Hopefully it uh, goes well. And our phone guest today is our good buddy. We do a lot of hunting with him. He's from up in New York. His uh, name is Keith Sharpie. What's going on, Keith? Hey, how you doing, guys? Pretty good, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Hopefully, uh, this goes pretty smooth. This is our first time trying this out. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, before we get uh, too deep into it, last week we had talked about that uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear pocket arm, and uh, we had said that it was available. Well, we jumped right on, and we got one ordered, and uh, it's here today with us in studio. Uh, this is just audio, so use your imagination. But, Check uh, the Instagram. See <laughs> yeah, it's in, on Instagram. But uh, this thing is sweet. Um, we're going to be doing a review here pretty soon uh, on YouTube, kind of breaking down how it's used. But uh, like I said, we just got it in the mail today. Looks sweet. And uh, so look forward to that on the old Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, it's a must-have for all you self-filmers out there. Yeah, definitely. So, Keith, like I said, you're one of our uh, most successful friends when it comes to turkey hunting. You know, you're killing a couple birds a year, it seems. Uh, you know, with the white cat calls, as I remember. Oh yeah, them homemade <laughs> ones—they really smack. But uh, I do know that you're—you do a lot of public land hunting, uh, and you know, I'm always interested in finding new property. But it seems to be sort of a daunting task uh, just to you know look at a map, you know, or your dad's atlas or something, and trying to figure out where you want to hunt. So if you could show us, or not show us, but break down how you go about finding all this public land where you're just slaying turkeys left and right on. Absolutely. Um, so typically I get on, uh, Onyx maps. That's the, uh, the app I use, uh, probably a hundred percent of the time to find out these properties. So I basically, uh, a month or two before the season, I start off and I start looking at properties and I start doing research on these properties. Um, I'm in the, the midst of doing some research on one as of right now that I'm going to be hunting, uh, in a couple weeks here. And basically what I do is I get on my laptop and I go on Onyx's website and I zoom in on the properties and I kind of just study them. I look at, you know, ridge lines. I look at um, if you can tell if there's any open hardwood. It's kind of hard to see on that. And then uh, I basically I look at for any open fields, any ag fields, corn fields, anything that turkeys typically go to or are going to hang out around. Um, you know, I, I think I hunted a chunk last year that I was successful on, and I wouldn't have been successful as a, if it wasn't for me looking at the maps um, a month prior to that. What I do is I make any interest points I, that I want to go to, I put a waypoint there, and basically if I go there and I like what I see, I hunt that spot, and if I don't like what I see, I just go to the next point. So I... Basically, a chunk of state land, if it's like a couple thousand acres, I'll, I'll have 15 to 20 waypoints posted on there of spots I like. Now, when you're and going I, to post these points of interest that you said, what, what exactly are you looking for? What 
draws you to that specific area that makes it where you want to set up? Uh, basically, ridge tops. I'll go over there and I'll, you know, places a turkey might roost. Um, a lot of fields. I find a lot of, if you, you know, a lot of, there's not a lot of fields on public land. I mean, where I am, it's mostly just, you know, dense forest, open hardwoods that butt up to, it might be a private, you know, the private part of that might be the field, but the turkey typically roosts in the hardwoods. So I'll set up near a boundary line, near an ag field that, you know, I'm not hunting on the ag field, but I'm actually in the private or the, uh, the public land. So I, I tend to look for a lot of agriculture when I am looking for, uh, for waypoints. But you typically, agriculture is going to be on the boundary lines, which means they're going to be near roads, parking lots, or access points. So in these deep spots, you can find that do butt up to the private land that have ag fields are a great spot to look into as well. I mean, it's just, that's another thing. you, you gotta you got to be willing to go the extra mile on public land. You're going to have a lot of guys in, you know, 300 yards and in, but, you know, you'll go a mile and a half in to these spots. You're not going to see too many people. I mean, I've rarely ran into a few people back points, but, um, you know, you got to put the you got to put the miles on the boots. That's what I say. You, you got to taste. You got to taste the kill. That's a good so, way to look at it. You got to taste the kill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, too, uh, you know, these maps are. Once once I got Onyx maps, I found I was way more successful. And I'm not sponsored by Onyx. At you know. At <laughs> Neither are we. Uh, but we we all use it too. Yeah, I remember yeah, last year when yeah. we were down in Maryland. You printed off like you know you had 15 different pages of different maps and stuff that you printed off, and we all had it on our phones. And you know we'd go out for the morning hunt, and it was stuff that we'd never hunted before. We came back in the afternoon, and we just sat there and ate and drank beer and looked at maps the rest of the day and you know, figured out what we were doing for the next morning or whatever, you know, planning out the rest of the hunt or what we're going to do next year when we go back down there, just mostly off of maps because it's stuff that we never been on and it was too much property to cover in the four days that we were there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's another good feature on Onyx as well as uh, you could print out maps and, like I said, with those waypoints, you know, we weren't sure if we would have cell service down there, so... Yeah, and we didn't you know, have cell service in a lot of spots because we were down in the mountains. You know, if you get down in a valley, you're not going to have any service at all. Yeah. You did pick us a pretty nice little campsite that had good service. Uh, yeah, had that fire going <laughs> and everything when we got there. Good hospitality yes. on your end for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm all about that uh, hospitality. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you too, you know, it, you know, we, what was it, the first day we we heard a few birds. And, you know, hunting a state we never hunted before, and we had success the first day in, not, you know, hearing birds, and we got on to the next day. The next day after that, we just, we were, how far, I mean, we were close. <laughs> we were real close. Yeah, but me and you especially were, I mean, it was yeah. wicked close. <laughs> yeah, and all four of us had birds going every single day we were there all morning long. We were just, none of us were able to capitalize on a bird, but we had action going the whole time it's totally different terrain that you know it's nothing like we ever hunted it was up one valley down the next up one down the next and that was the problem that we were all having is we would get on birds and we would be 80 yards from these birds and they would hang up but had it been flat ground they would have committed and come in but 
in order to eclipse that 80 yards, they would have had to go down a 100-foot ravine and then back 100 yeah. feet up the other side. Down so another one and up another. I mean, it's... Yeah, it was a lot tougher than what we're used to up here in northwest PA and where you're at in New York. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where, where I hunt locally is, is flatland. I mean, there is rarely any topography to work with here, but um, I do head up and, you know, I'm not going to tell you all my bread and butter here, but uh, I do go up to the Adirondacks quite often to hunt turkeys. And uh, it's all up and down. Nothing like Maryland. That was just something I've never experienced. I don't think, the, uh, yeah, I don't think any figures. of us knew what we were getting into there. Um, no. I know, you know, I have a pretty serious uh, workout regiment, and I know yeah. that uh, I wasn't quite ready for Maryland. But, you know, we made it through because, like you said, you got to taste the kill. Um, you just you got to keep in, keep your uh, mind on track that you're out there for a bird and there wasn't going to be anything to stop you. So, but before we get too far into it, I kind of want to jump back. I thought would be kind of neat is if we kind of broke down, you know, how we met you. I know we kind of brought Frank in later on, but, uh, you Absolutely. know, we talk about, um, the headquarters and we talk about Morrison a little bit on the podcast, but we haven't really broke down Morrison much. And I think it'd be a neat little topic, uh, to talk about. Cause I know that's, what's brought us, um, closer to you and our friendship. Um, so if you maybe want to dive into, you know, what Morrison farms is and what we do up there that, uh, gets us together throughout the year. Slice of heaven that, uh, we're fortunate to belong to, thanks to a great man, uh, Edmund Eves. Edmund. Um, Doc, <laughs> old Doc Eves, um, great guy. I've learned a lot from him. Um, his brother, John, is my uncle. And probably, I think it's got to be 2003, um, I was fortunate enough to get invited up to that camp for a hunt, a turkey hunt. With your, and, uh, I think my first hunt was with your grandfather. Really? Yes, and uh, he, he kind of taught me uh, the ropes, and then, you know, we came back, and with Don Leslie and Ed, your grandfather, we just sat around the table and uh, learned turkey calls and tactics, and, I mean, I was, I think, 13 at the time, 13 or 14, and um, I was hooked from there. Uh, we had, I think the next morning, I had three long beers in front of me. I just couldn't close a deal with your grandfather, my dad, and since then, it's, you know, I've just been hooked. And then, uh, you know, here and there, I, I think the next year I killed my first turkey down there. And after that, basically I went to college and I didn't really go down there too often. Then I started, right after college, I started getting down there and I started helping out. And then that's where you guys kind of came in. I, I, I hunted with your father, Todd. And I think you guys must have been, what, 14, 15, not even? Yeah, me and Tom started going up there around the same age you were. So you started going up there when you were 13, 14. And me and yep. Tom didn't start coming up until we were 13 or 14. So there was a few years uh, gap there. But I yep. remember basically ours was the same deal. I think we got brought up. Um, I think our, me and Tom probably got brought up for like an opening day of gun first. My first trip up there was archery season. That, no, was, that was my big birthday present every year was to go up to Morrison and bow hunt starting at, I think, what's New York? You can bow hunt at 14? Yeah, yeah, 14, was it November 9th is your birthday, right? Tom? Yeah. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm good. Oh, yes, you um, are. He really cares. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's uh, 14 in New York. Um, and then 16 for gun? 
they just changed that. Um, go, you know, our, our governor keeps changing things on us. I, I don't really know. I know there's a youth season now, and I think he, I think you can hunt at 12 now. Oh, okay. But um, I think, don't quote me on that, but you have accompanied by an adult. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, you guys started coming up, and I remember, uh, you know, we just do, uh, during the summer, you guys would come up, we start doing firewood, and just basic. Yeah. Um, we were, like I said, as soon as I got my driver's license, yeah, we would, me and Tom would come up on the weekends up there and, like you said, split wood and learn how to drive tractors. That's where I got most of my experience on equipment, too. You know, we had uh, one hell of a mentor up there, Michael Stringer, for heavy equipment. Um, so One of the best, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's probably got the most world-class mustache I've ever, I mean, it's just perfect i don't know how we you know i'm starting to draw a correlation on mustaches and heavy equipment operating as i think about it because i do know uh what frank's supervisor is also a heavy another one with a legendary mustache it's pretty serious so maybe there's maybe there's something to it so any of you guys out there looking to be heavy equipment (laughs) yeah (laughs) gotta grow mustache (laughs) absolutely um but uh yeah you know we're all fortunate to belong to this uh this hunting camp and be able to go up there and you know help out and you know produce big bucks and long beards that's actually the the saying big racks and long beards absolutely for you listeners out there just to put a face to the guy we're talking to today if you go on our instagram page there is a picture of a sexy man laying in a radish field that is who we're talking to today, and that radish field is up at Morrison Farm. We could even use that as the cover art for the episode. That'd be a good that, one. That's a good idea. I'm, Boy, I'm all about that. Those are some sweet radishes too, weren't they? They, they were. They really were. Produced yeah, some of the biggest bucks we ever seen up there. I tell you what, I'd like to plant some more this year. I think those were uh, those definitely uh, produced some really some really good crop this year. I was really pleased with them. Yeah, they did turn out nice. I think it's all in the short shorts when you're planting the seeds. <laughs> you know, I was literally just going to say that because, uh, I mean, Tommy probably had the shortest shorts. And <laughs> those things were, I tell you what, I, <laughs> I'm i not going to go there. Let's just say that. It was PG-13. painting a picture. <laughs> when you have a hand spreader and, you know, you're spinning the real on the side you got to be able to get your knees up and if you're wearing shorts that are below the knees it's just going to restrict you you got to be able well, to hike them up it's for an even seed. seed yeah, yeah. yeah. can't spread the seed with long shorts yeah it's just it just does not work simple math boy i mean you're really good at spreading seed i've never <laughs> seen such you <laughs> i pride myself in my ability to spread seed yeah <laughs> <laughs> moving on from the oh. seed spreading uh, Keith, you know, like I said, we'll try and bring it back into turkey hunting here. Um, if you maybe want to go over, uh, I know last year you had taken two birds up in New York. Um, yeah. if you want to maybe just do a quick story on each of them and you know, why you think it worked out for you. It's like, I mean, it was public land, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so the first one was on a chunk of land that I actually had permission it was private, but then it bordered public. Okay. So I was I had permission to park on the private, and then basically what I knew for years prior is I knew those birds roosted up on the uh, on the ridge. Then they kind of worked their way down to the private field that I do also have permission for. 
So, uh, as of, uh, you know, I've, I think I've hunted this piece of property for about nine years. And I kind of have the tree I like to set up on. It's my success tree. <laughs> and uh, so I think I had a few beers that night, and I got in a little late. So I couldn't really make it to my success tree where I wanted to make it to. Sometimes and, that's the uh, start of the best morning, when you have a little <laughs> too much the night before, and it's not going good to start out, but it ends good. Correct, absolutely. And uh, it, it, it was raining pretty good that morning, um, and I actually had to work. So I had to work at 9 o'clock, so I know I got in there, and I knew they were going to go right to that field. So I, I got to the field edge, and basically I know, I know where they were roosting, they roost there pretty much 80% of the time, and uh, I set up on uh, on the edge there, and they flew down, and I, I think I made two clucks, and they came right in, and I shot the first time that walked in. It was a pretty pretty easy hunt. That's all I got to say. It's probably the, one of the more easier hunts I've been on, and uh, I was out of there, I think, probably in, I don't know, a half hour. So I got to work on time, and that was it. Perfect. <laughs> so do you typically, um, are you more conservative with your calling? Well, it, it depends on the time of the year. The, you know, the first week, and it depends. Like this year's, I don't know, it, this year might be a little different. Just, gonna, you know, it's, it's warmer out a lot of year, a lot of early, I should say. Um, last year was kind of cold, um, and they were hand up quite a bit, probably for till the second week in New York. They were really hand up, and it was really difficult. Um, I lucked out that morning because I think it was raining, and I think they were making their way to the field just because it was raining. Um, I find a lot of turkeys go to fields when it's raining uh, in New York, and that's definitely true in PA too. Yes, yeah, so that's why. Oh, I like to set up and kind of be near an opening that. That's why I look at other state land properties where the, where the fields are, because if it's raining, you know they're going to try to make their way over there. So uh, that's why I think uh, I basically I was successful that morning because of the rain. But um, I typically like to, you know, set up in between where they're roosting where I think they're going to – that's how I, I was successful that morning. So, um, Do other, you, you know – Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to, do you do, I know you talked a lot about scouting using the Onyx map, but do you spend a lot of time actually in the woods scouting preseason as well? Yes. Um, and I've already started scouting this year. Um, I try to start, I start, I call it my inventory list. And I, each chunk, I, I just try to inventory how many birds are there how many i see other hunters there i write everything down i got this little notebook and i write the property down or the state land um how many gobbles i heard what the temperature was if there's overcast um if i was uh you know if i do this at night too when i roost but um yeah i, I typically start april 1st um and I, basically i just go to every property and see what's there because if there's nothing there you're going to waste your morning there so the last thing you want to do is waste a good morning on a spot that there's no turkeys. So, I mean, putting boots on the ground is like one of the, another main key into being successful. Tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and basically drive an hour and see if there's any birds talking in the morning. Um, so I think that's another key thing to success is basically scouting. Um, 
you could hunt a spot that looks great on a map, but there's no there's no turkeys. And the only way you're going to find that out is if you go there beforehand and see if there's any turkeys there or not. Yeah, all the maps in the world so. aren't going to show you if there's any turkeys there. you got to go figure that out on your own. Another good thing, too, I wanted to elaborate on with public land is word of mouth. Um, you know, using Facebook and Instagram to see where people are killing a lot of birds. Uh, a lot of people like to show off. And <laughs> You're right about they, that. Absolutely. And, you know, they say where they shot it half the time it's a lie. But, yeah. you know, you go on Instagram or Facebook. Like, I know a lot of guys that go on there and they, they they're actually truthful on where they killed the birds. And you can kind of see if, oh, they tagged on two days. There must be a lot of birds up there. Or, uh, you know, you can actually go on, like, the, the county website. And there's different forums and stuff like that in New York. There's different counties I've seen that have forums um, on hunting, um, talking to locals. I mean, that's a big thing, too. I think, Nick, I don't know if you remember talking to our new or our friend Mark. From Hartford County? From Hartford County, yes. Um, <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah. <laughs> the just damn bird just cro- he just had to cross that trail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just talking, like, and I hate to say it, but, like, these the Maryland birds that we hunted were totally different than the ones I've hunted in New York. And Mark kind of gave us a little gist on what they were going to do the next morning. And he was hundred percent correct. Yeah, he was. So in, in that bar we went to, like you said, like talking to people, we went to that bar yeah. down there and the briar patch, the briar patch, of course. And that guy was spilling all sorts of secrets that you and me capitalized the next morning and yeah. were just feet from killing a bird. So, I mean, like yeah. you said, it's beneficial just to open your ears when you're at the bars or, you know, leafing through Facebook. Because uh, they like said there's always somebody out there that wants to talk about how they kill more birds and, you know, they slip up and say right where they're at. Spot or feel or thunder or anything, but use that information and uh, basically to, to, to learn more about the spot. Like, I, like, let's say there's a chunk of public land I'm curious about. I will just Google it see if there's any people that are talking about it um there's another thing there's a there's a page on facebook new york hunt club and guys all over all over new york just got to sit there and they're bored on their you know their phone or their their laptop and they elaborate on what they saw or they take pictures and you know they and that's you can use that info for your success a lot of guys hunt state land on that thing too, so you get a lot of information on that. Not saying I'm a stalker or anything, but you, know. <laughs> you, you do your research. <laughs> yeah, you, no, do, I mean, you gotta do your Pennsylvania's research. Pennsylvania's got one of them uh, Facebook groups too, and every single time. And then that's uh, the big thing, especially during deer season, but they do it during turkey too. They post their trail cam pictures, and every single one of them tells you what unit they're in. You know, yeah. and I mean, I, I know I've got friends that are guilty. Um, of posting pictures of their trail cam bucks and putting like, I mean, the exact unit that they're in. And I mean, like, obviously that's still a big square, but if you're trying to narrow things down, it, it, it yeah, speeds up the process. Yeah, being able to get into one specific unit rather than the whole state really well, and, and shortens your time. If, even if you say, you know, okay, yeah, they, they put you down on one unit, you find out, okay, they're on public land. There's only three pieces of public on the in that unit. So, I mean, it's, it, you, like you said, you'll speed your process up quite a bit if you start paying attention to where other people are at. Not that you want to, you know, sit on the same tree, but I mean, there's plenty of birds out there for people, for everybody. 
yeah, and uh, like this new chunk of state land, I'm uh, myself and my girlfriend are going to uh, May. Well, we're going May second, actually. But um, it's about three hours east of where I'm at right now, and uh, I've got this info from a buddy that's with a state trooper, and he patrolled in that area, and he told me that turkeys all over the place. So just from that info, I found out where all the state land was, and we got an Airbnb, and the Airbnb actually has 100 acres on it, so... I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> nice. get on that as well, but we'll see. But uh, it's all surrounded by state land, and you know, for it was 150 bucks for three days. Where are you going wrong? Yeah, so, that's, good. that's another big thing too. This air, this Airbnb thing for state land, you know, for public land hunters. I mean, that's great because let's say it's you know, it's deer season and it's 10 degrees out. You don't want to camp in that, so look for Airbnbs too. Um, I wish I knew about these years ago because I've, you know, I've camped in some nasty weather and with some um, nasty guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some really big tents too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so much room in yeah. that tent. So much room. I'm just and, even uh, thinking, uh, me and Frank, when we were deer hunting Ohio, we, I bet you Airbnbs could have been our route too because the closest hotel was nowhere near the property you could hunt. Um, so I'm, that's definitely getting logged in the memory bank for yeah. future years. I didn't even really think of using Airbnbs for that. No, I know. I, I just learned how to do this uh, within the last few months. I've never really done an Airbnb. And I'll tell you right now, it's it's a game changer because there's a lot of guys with cabins out there that are in the areas that you want to hunt that it's only 75 bucks a night. And you want to split that with two or three guys. I mean, that's nothing compared to a, you know, a hotel room. It's cheap. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so that's a huge, that's a great thing to, to elaborate on is these Airbnbs. Um, you might not have some in the area, but it's, you know, a hotel might be even farther. So yeah, definitely, I mean, um, I lucked out with this, you know, being on a dairy farm and there was a hundred other workers and the, you know, I still got to talk to the lady, but, um, she said it shouldn't be a problem, but we got to, they're going to talk to me about it. So, you know, a hundred extra acres that I'm going to only see the one on there is going to be great too with you know, 10,000 acres of state land, so hopefully it'll be successful. Yeah, good deal. Yeah. Uh, looks like Frank's lighting up in the studio here. He, yeah, we're going to rock a smoke break. So uh, smoke breaks, Keith, I don't know if you're familiar, but our smoke breaks are when we uh, take a minute to break down a delicious recipe for our listeners to uh, enjoy sometime. And oh. in the past, I have always admitted to not enjoying goose. And, you know, I've had jerky, I've had tons of different ways I've had it, and I was sausage. never a fan. Yes, I've had goose sausage, yeah. None of it's been that great. Uh, and a few months ago, we were up at Morrison Farms, and you had said that you were going to bring pulled goose for everybody. And I'll admit, I was not excited. Um, <laughs> How could you not be excited but, uh, about that? I tell you what, I had one sandwich, and then I had another, uh, and I think I had a third and decided I really do like goose now. Um, so if you want to maybe break down your recipe for how you cook this goose, because um, it was absolutely delicious. Absolutely. Um, so basically I put, I got a slow cooker, and I cooked it on low. And I think that's what a lot of people do with slow cookers. They, they cook them on high, and it cooks too fast, so it dries your game meat out. And I found that out with goose meat. If you cook it at a lower medium or a lower temperature, 
then I think it actually helps the meat out. But uh, you take four breaths. So, that, I mean, that would be two geese. Um, Thank you. <laughs> that's quite the math you got going on. How'd you, you, how would you, you figure that one out? If you math correctly, that's two geese. Uh, <laughs> and then you take one package of bacon. And basically, I put a layer of bacon down, then I put my four breasts down, and then I put bacon on top. And then I take uh, is it two tablespoons of pepper, two tablespoons of garlic salt, and I take two, I have fresh honey from the area, and I take three is this, tablespoons Is this of honey, honey from the North Bee? This is not honey from the North Bee. Keith, um, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> don't tell him that. This is honey from my cousin, Natalie. Um, and I take three tablespoons of, of raw honey, and I put that in. Then I take, um, I, this is actually from Michael Stringer, maple syrup. I take that and drizzle, I would have to say there's probably three tablespoons of maple syrup. And then I, co- I put a layer of barbecue sauce on, and then I've, if you got hard cider laying around, I put like a quarter of a, a beer, or a, I should say it'd be four ounces of hard apple cider. Jenny, if you don't have a hard cider. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd use Natterdays, what I'm drinking right now. but uh, <laughs> Might throw the flavor off just a little. Just a little bit, but um, you cook that for about six hours or till the meat kind of separates. And then, uh, then you just keep adding barbecue sauce and mix it up. And I tell you, you got yourself a delicious little treat. Oh, a little I, slice of heaven. I'll, I'll testify. That. Yeah, it's, oh, talk about some serious pulled goose. It's out of this world. Yeah, and, and you know, I've, it almost tastes better, too, if you let it cool down and refrigerate and then reheat it. I don't know why, but it tastes better as well. Probably yeah. just uh, letting all like, the juices marinate. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of lets all the flavors mixed together as if it were like uh like soups and chilies and stuff always taste better the next day so i have a yeah. feeling it's kind of the same effect yeah and uh it's super healthy for you you know you know that much bacon <laughs> and uh you know all that stuff is just it's a it's definitely in the keto diet i think is it gluten-free it's gluten-free too yeah oh my goodness so you can't go wrong it's good for everybody <laughs> yeah absolutely well appreciate so, that but, appreciate it yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That's uh, that. If you toast your rolls too, that's definitely a key factor. That really elevates the dish, as Gordon Ramsay yeah. would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Keith. Um, no problem. That's like I said. That's our smoke breaks. We try and do that each and every episode to sh- spread uh, wild game recipes because you know we like to hunt critters year round, and you got to figure out a way to cook them all. So, like Especially I said, that's being on quarantine, you can't go out to eat. You got to find something to do while you're stuck inside. Yeah. So, like I said, I never really hunted goose because I didn't like them, and now I have a recipe that I will eat goose, and I, I'm gonna be getting getting ready to do it. Kill a couple hundred a um, year now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It goes quick too, guys. A couple hundred geese go quick too. I bet. So. Oh yeah. So earlier you were talking about um, you were hunting some public land and then some private land that you got permission on. And I struggle myself um, to talk to private landowners about getting permission. Um, And I know you've got a lot of different places you can hunt. Um, Like it's private land that you've gotten permission. And I know maybe you want to give us some insight on how you go about talking to people. And I'm sure you're getting told no often, but maybe some things that you seem feel work better than others. Yeah. So let me just, I'll I'll step back from that. Um, I think it was last year, right around now. Before, you know, we had all this quarantine, I went out and I, I spent all weekend going door-to-door asking farmers. I got 29 no's to one yes. 
So, so you're saying there's a gotta, chance. <laughs> you're saying there, yeah, absolutely. So you just got to get out there and knock on doors. Um, I've gotten a lot of permission in the past from offering to help out with, you, you know, with different things. You got to be really observant. You almost got to be like a salesman. So if I go to a place and I see there's a giant stack of wood in their driveway, I'll say, hey, I'll help you stack your wood or I'll stack your wood for you if you give me hunting permission. And if they do say yes, I follow up with a gift card. Um, so anything, offer yeah, help and then bribe. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's very rare you're going to say you're going to get someone to say yes. Okay. Uh, you you kind of have to sell yourself saying you're a saint, you know, showing you're a good person, you're not going to, you know, destroy their land. Um, you know, being New York, taxes are extremely high, so people get really agitated, you know, if other people are using their property. Um, but, you know, you kind of have to earn yourself into that piece where, you know, you go and do some work or you give a, give them a gift card and, you know, you, want, you just want to show yourself you're a good person too. But I've gotten a lot of permission, you know, offering to post their property for them. Um, tomorrow I'm actually going, I just made up a bunch of posted signs, and I'm going to go post their property for them. Okay, um, so you're actually, you'll you get their info, make the signs up, and then you'll post it for them, you know, in exchange for hunting privileges for the season? Yeah, you know, in, in, in these properties I've had permission for for a long time, but I'm trying to keep that permission too, so I should have said that at the beginning, but... Uh, yeah, like this property I'm going to post tomorrow, I'm, uh, I've am i been hunting there quite a bit, and I like to do this every year. I go through the posted signs, and I basically refresh them for them, and uh, I just kind of check in and see if they need any help with anything. They're the older folks, and, um, you know, in the past, I've helped them. Uh, I, I, I put up a mailbox for them, you know, just stupid little things that, that might, you know, be a burden for them, but it's easy for me to do, but at the same time, they got a nice property i'm gonna do anything you know to to permission for him i'm the only one that hunts there so that's why that's you know one of my bread and butter spots where i, I really need to keep that spot so you know no one else first of all gets in there but i want to be the only one in there too because you know then i can i know what's going to happen you know i know what the deer are going to do and for turkeys and i think you're a little bit more successful if you're the only one hunting that piece you know so. yeah for sure you're not fighting everybody else yeah but uh, I go, you know, I've gone door to door and I've gotten all no's. I've gotten a few yeses. It's it's a crapshoot out there. But uh, you know, if you're out there, you know, I wouldn't go during dinner time or uh, you know, Sunday mornings. Usually they're at church or you know, they're kind of relaxing. I'd go in like a Sunday afternoon and um, you just kind of feel it out. If you if you're getting a bad vibe, just don't do it. Another thing I found that helps out a lot with getting permission, especially from farmers, if you want to deer hunt, don't ask them to deer hunt right away. If you go up and just ask to shoot woodchucks off of their farm, you know, there's not a farmer in any state that won't appreciate you shooting woodchucks or coyotes off of their property. So if you go in and ask for something small like that, you know, you do that for a year or two, then... You know, maybe they'll ask you, hey, you know, you're coming out here all the time. You, you go ahead and go deer hunting if you want, or that maybe you'll have to ask them or whatever. But if you start out with something small and easy, it gets your foot in the door, and they get to know you a little bit and see that you're a good guy. And then, you know, a little bit later you say, hey, you know, what if I, you know, go out deer hunting sometime? They're a lot more likely to say yes to that if they've known you for two or three years than if you just walk up and say, hey, do you mind if I shoot a deer off your property? 
Absolutely. No, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely true. Um, I've actually had farmers tell me no to coyote hunting cause they killed woodchucks. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, no joke. It's, I've heard it all, but, um, yes, that's, uh, that's definitely a good, a good way to do it. Um, I tip, I don't say hunting or gun hunting. I say, can I arch, you know, can I go out and hunt deer with my bow out back? Or, you know, I just, you kind of in New York, it's a little different where I'm in, you know, the suburbs, no one likes guns. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you kind of have to you, you watch your wording and, you know, Oh, my horse, are you going to do this or shoot my cows? No, I'm out here with a bow. And, uh, you know, they're just, you, you got to watch what you say. Any, any word you can, any wording you can kind of rephrase to be soften up the language soft. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing too. Um, you know, there anything to, to to basically have this go in your favor you want because, uh, I mean, I've hunted I've hunted properties and for ten years I just got kicked off like that because somebody did something. You know, you, you gotta you gotta be great in their in their eye, and you really gotta do anything you can to hold that. So it's uh, just one of them things you just gotta just like Morrison Farms with. Uh, good time you know try to get down as much as we can to uh to do as much work as possible well yeah that's so. i mean that's exactly it i mean there's a pretty large chunk of land up there we hunt and there's a lot of work that needs done so i mean i know it'll hurt like i i can't allow myself to not go up all summer long and then show up right to hunt um i just like i said i try and get up there as much as i can i know i stay in contact with you and stringer pretty heavily throughout the summer um I mean, at least we're up there splitting wood, you know, planting food plots. I mean, we even help Ed, you know, at the house with whatever he needs. Um, like you said, you, you just got to get out there and put the work in. And I mean, if you're serious about hunting, uh, you know, throwing a little bit of hay or splitting some wood shouldn't be too much of a problem, in my opinion. Not at all. You gotta, you gotta earn your spot. You gotta earn your keep. And uh, you know, there, there's a lot of work to be done there too. You know, and. That's where well, there's a lot of big deer there, and people, you know, it's just one of them things where it's nice to, you know, you plant something or you you help out with something, and you you just you, you get you get I don't know how what I want to say here, but um, there's a lot of pride. Yeah, you you get pride out of that, and that's what I do. Like I was there, was it last week? Brush hog and corn, get you know, getting the fields ready for planting season yeah it's rapidly approaching and uh putting posey up we posted up the big pond and just little things you know helps out yeah like you said there's a lot of pride when you you spend all summer long you know sweating and like you said planting food plots splitting wood you get up there in november and you know and you got wood to keep yourself warm in the cabin and food plots to go hunt and hopefully a full freezer from you know the year before for some deer sausages and whatnot for out throughout the weekend you're there so it's a absolutely well smith sausages here at smith hot dogs that is a <laughs> good thing speaking of hot dogs uh oh. two weeks ago was it yeah two weeks ago we were up at uh the white cat headquarters and uh buddy of ours no this is actually actually i we are we'll just it doesn't cut matter that. what day it was yeah it's uh <laughs> A while back, anyway, <laughs> we were up at the, ca- the damn story. yeah, we were up at the cabin, and Blaine, our buddy of ours, had donated some hot dogs, 
and I don't know where he got them done. I'll have to get a hold of him. I don't remember where he um, said. But uh, donated some hot dogs, and I tell you what, they were as close to Smith's as I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, were phenomenal, they were and they were solid. venison. So Really? Yeah, so i got to figure out his recipe, um, and we'll bring him up for the next venison fest because the hot dogs we made up there were not as good. <laughs> Yeah, but. it was funny. He brought him up, and he was said, "Yeah, he, we threw him on the stove and started cooking them." He's like, "I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I haven't had any of these yet, so these might be terrible. <laughs> so don't get mad at me if they taste like shit." Well, he did that with sausage last year, and yeah. it was some of the best deer sausage I've ever had. Well, you were really drunk when you had the sausage. You didn't even get to try the hot dogs. You were so drunk this time. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have that on these big jobs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to make some sauce. We haven't done it this year because of the, uh, the whole COVID-19, but um, I'll have to uh, It's been a big old kick in the balls. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely get a weekend when this all passes through and, uh, you know, basically just, uh, you know, work our meat pretty yep. much all weekend. And, That's all you could and, ask uh, for, getting everybody beat, together. and can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy's really good at stuffing sausage. I tell oh, you what, I've never seen someone with soft hands that much. It just... He, he, that Italian sausage is so smooth and it, it just packs so well. He, he really give him a pat on the back for that. So one. if you need anyone to get your meat packed, <laughs> just hit me up on Instagram. Spreading seed and packing meat—that's your specialty. He's just uh, an all-around guy. Let's just go there. Yeah. I, I do. I go the extra mile. Yeah. So I'm gonna hard segue here real quick. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about your setup um, for turkey hunting like your shotgun setup um i mean there's everybody uses 12 gauge 20 gauge 10 gauge you know everything um so if you want to maybe i know you do a lot of uh testing each year on different loads um yep. if you maybe want to break down what you're using uh for this season if you've gotten that far yet oh yeah um so i shoot a uh I shoot a browning gold trigger um and I've had a lot of issues with this gun in the past. It's been back and forth with Browning. Um, I finally think I got it back. It's actually cycling. It's my uh, it's my waterfowl gun, but um, it shoots. Re- I mean, the, it patterns really well, and I shoot Carlson chokes out of it. It's just a it's just a turkey it's a double X full turkey choke Carlson. It's not any of the fancy chokes, and it's a I think it's a 28 inch barrel. It's all camo, and I shoot a three and a half inch long beard xr <laughs> and uh we've had discrepancies t- in the past on size of shells but <clears throat> <laughs> Tom's it's on... not fun to shoot yeah <laughs> and uh i tell you and i'll kid you not and i this wasn't really ethical of me but i did shoot a bird at 58 yards last year that okay I was, Nick's record. I was gonna say you've beaten me i i got one at 57 with a three inch so yeah <laughs> I don't like them that far, but the bird was going to the bust, and it was actually my, I think it was my second biggest bird last year. It was the second bird I shot, I tacked out with. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my, basically my, uh, my go-to. Um, I did have a, a Benelli Nova, and I sold it, it to trade it for this gun, and I totally regret that. That gun shot well with a kicks goblet thunder joke. That's ex- and, uh, that's exactly what I'm shooting is the Benelli Note, and it kicks like a son of a bitch. It's, it's brutal. Oh, yeah. Especially, I yeah. shoot three and a half too, and I'm not like five shots to pattern it, and my shoulder and cheeks all black and blue. It, yeah. It doesn't yep, mess man. around, but it lays them right down. I, I put the wad through a cardboard box at 40 yards. 
Oh yeah. So yeah. like it, it doesn't well, mess around. You also shoot. Uh, it's a waterfowl gun that the barrels like I think almost thirty inches or something. I mean he's got to break it down just to put it in the gun case. <laughs> but very, yeah. Um, and then you know we're in the process of my my girlfriend Kate. She just um she just actually passed her hunter safety course yesterday. Congratulations, yeah, I was Kate. Say congratulations. Yep. Yep. So she's going to be coming out with me this year, and uh, she going to be doing the friend... calling for you. Oh yeah, yeah. She uh she actually got a bird to uh to gobble the other night when we were roosting. Oh heck yeah. I, I told her or I, I I taught her how to use uh or do an owl call with her mouth, and uh, the birds loved it. So awesome. She she's going to be uh my go-to this year for the hooter. So <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> set of hooters you got there. Yeah. The owls are beautiful. Uh, but um, we're, uh, my buddy Kyle's. Oh, God. Oh, oh, sorry. My buddy Kyle's let me use uh, his girl's uh, 20 gauge. So we're gonna be um, it's an 870 with a kick scabbling thunder choke. Oh, nice. So uh, supposedly it's a good. Sh- you know, it shoots up to like 40 yards, I guess, with a the, the, the Remington Nitro turkey loads. So uh, we gotta do some shooting this weekend and do some practicing. But uh, yeah, that'll be my um, my goal this year to get her a bird. So. That's pretty cool. So we can make turkey tacos. Heck so. yeah. Um, what kind of uh, calls are you usually using? Are you a mouth call guy? or? I'm a mouth call guy. I, uh, I like these calls called cat calls. Ooh. <laughs> you know, those aren't available and, to the public quite yet. That's uh... Well, I'll, I'll just keep that on the down low then. But um, I like uh, a triple read with the, uh, the split V cut. And... We call you know, that the spread I've, V in our lineup. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really like them calls. I've been using them. Uh, that's what I kind of learned on. Um, you know, uh, at Eves, he's he was a big factor in me with my mouth calls. And, you know, we tried a different bunch of a bunch of different mouth calls. And I, I keyed on on that one. And Tell you your, what, your grand, buy your a half a dozen calls for one good one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kid you not, I probably spent 200 bucks on mouth calls. And uh, to maybe in 300 bucks, just on mouth calls to find that one. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just basically it, it practice and finding that right fit, and that could be a deadly combo. But your yeah. grandfather and uh, and actually taught me all that stuff. And, um, you know, I'll take that to the grave on that because that one just, you know, that's my, my go-to is the mouth calls. And back in the day, I, I would put it, I'd keep it in my truck, and I would just practice when I was when I was driving anywhere or going anywhere and basically I would have a mouth call in my mouth at all times just practicing practicing and you know it's 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 a lot of work once you get it down then you're, you're golden now I just buy I think I get a call once a year and that's it and I don't I don't really uh I don't practice as much as I should but yeah I usually I'm more start practicing about April-ish yeah I, yeah do you have like a, a preferred sequence that like your go-to when you're trying to get a bird to gobble, or you've got them to gobble, and now you're trying to bring them in? Uh, I mean, yeah, there, there's a. It all depends on the situation too. If it's hens, um, you know, if it's later in the day, I might be a little softer, um, do a lot of clucks, and uh, I do some cutting, and you know, I do. I like doing a lot of clucks and soft yelps. That's uh. You get some real, uh, real fired up. <laughs> so and, I uh, if you hunt, it, like I found in Maryland, you know, we were 
I think that last hunt, Nick, me and you, we were calling pretty heavy. Yes, yeah, we were. But, and, I mean, it worked, we, and we just, I think our problem with that was we didn't set up uh, close enough to that edge. I think that bird, mm -hmm. if we were, if we would have got closer to the edge of the ravine, I think we would have killed him. But, yeah, you know, live and learn. Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, I think that morning, I mean, the day before, we, I think we called heavy, and they wanted nothing to do with it. So, I, every day is different, I think, with these birds. Um, just got to keep you Mark know, from I, Hartford County on speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I hunt up north Adirondacks, I do a lot of soft calling up there because uh, you know the the sound travels quite quite far there. It's it, it, I find it, when you hunt different parts of the state or a different state, I mean the turkeys react differently. Up there, it's totally different. I use like a lot of box calls to get my sound way out because you're hunting. I think it's twenty thousand acres of state land we were hunting up there, and it, the, that's the big woods. It, that is the big woods, and that's where maps come in because you have no self-service. And uh, that that was a key factor. And I, my first time I went up there, it took me uh, one day to get a bird for my brother, and the next day I killed another bird. That was our first time hunting up there. Good deal. It's all because of maps. Yeah. And just checking the waypoints that I put on. So, uh, Have you uh, done any use with the, the go-off line when it comes to Onyx? Um, where you can kind of like download an area so you can still use I, the map with no service? You know, I, I, I tried that, and I still, you know, where I, where I hunt, I typically have service, so I never use that. Oh, okay. But when I went up there, I did try it. And if you can do it when you're on Wi-Fi, save that map. Yeah, they do say do that on the yeah. app. Because when I got up there, I didn't know I wouldn't have cell service. I kind of had a an inkling that I wouldn't, but um, I tried doing that and it it just wouldn't work. Gotcha. So if if you if you think you're not gonna have um, service and you want to go on that offline, do it on Wi-Fi just to just to save your butt. Because even up there, like they they still have snow up there right now. And when we went up there, there was still snow in, in some spots, and half state land are it, it, they're not on seasonal or they're not on regular roads; they're on seasonal roads. So you can get, I mean, it can get hairy real quick when your vehicle you can get stuck or anything. So having those maps, or you can get lost too because there was just roads just going to nowhere. So definitely having those maps saved offline could be a uh, can, can save you too. So. If, if you can't get to uh, Google Maps. So, but, um, yeah, that's definitely uh, definitely something i got to work on as something more maps. So, so yeah, I know – oh, go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say uh, I, I downloaded the offline map for up by the headquarters for Whitecat because the service sucks up there. Um, and I've, I tested it out, and it actually it basically works as if it were on. I mean, it's pretty neat. Because I mean, it still tracks your location. You can mark all the points. Um, and the smallest it goes is actually a five-mile radius, or five, five square miles, I think it is, um, which actually I was able to get the public land we use uh, that's just north of our property all in it. So it's just one offline map, and I don't have to waste service all, all weekend when we're up there. Oh, okay, very nice. But, go ahead, Tom. You're... So I was going to ask, I know um, Pennsylvania is a very high pressured state as far as hunting and i know new york gets a lot of hunting pressure as well so it's not like we're hunting 
uneducated birds. The birds we're hunting are very educated. And okay. a lot of the times, you know, you're calling to a gobbler and he comes into, you know, 60 yards, 80 yards, whatever, and hangs up. And I didn't know if you had any ticks, tricks or tactics to try and overcome the situation, make them come in that extra 20 or 30 yards that you need to seal a deal once they're out there hung up. Um, boy, I tell you what, it happens quite, it happens quite often. And, uh, you know, if they're in a hardwoods, I would basically, I would probably stop calling. And when they get behind a tree, kind of rustle your, your hands through the leaves, make it seem like it's, you know, they're scratching in the leaves. Um, I don't know. Do you guys hunt with decoys at all? Nick doesn't. I do. Okay. Um, it, I guess it depends on the situation. So, yeah, I'm not yeah, like absolutely. totally against them, um, but I do a lot of woods hunting when it comes to yes. birds, and I try and just use, like, the terrain um, to make it so wherever I'm at, they have to get in range to see where that call's coming from is typically what I end up doing. Yes. I've done that. I mean, I've done that probably for 10 years. Last year was the first year I killed a bird over a decoy in, in a long, long, long time, and uh, I had this decoy... It looks like, I, I mean, it, it looks like a black dang bag out in the field. It was just this old <laughs> foam decoy. I said, screw it. I had an Easton arrow. I just jammed it in the dirt, and I put it on top. I go, man, this thing ain't going to come in. And uh, the bird came out in the field, and it screamed from about 100 yards over, right over that decoy. And uh, it, it just, it did hang up at 58 yards, but I did, I did clip him, or I did close, shoot him. Close enough. Dropped him. <laughs> so I think he saw old Bruce Jenner sitting in the field there, my decoy, <laughs> and, uh, decided he didn't want her. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it all depends. I mean, the situation, if you're in a thick hardwoods and that bird's not coming in, you try scratching your, your hands in the, uh, the leaves, um, doing some soft calling. You know, if you angle your, your head, and call with your hand on your mouth to make it sound like the birds, you know, facing a different area or coming, or, you know, it just sounds different. You know, move your hand back and forth on your mouth can make it sound like a pendulum in her head. You know, it just anything to try to get that bird in. Um, you can overcall too. Which I've never is. heard of overcalling. Never, <laughs> never done that myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I've seen, you know, I've seen that work, but I've seen that you know, kind of not go in your favor quite often as well. So yeah, it's, one, it's, it's real situational, I think. Um, but if, if anything, I would just try to stop, you know, halt your calling and just get the bird curious to see if you can get them over. Um, de you know, decoys, I, I'm kind of wishy-washy on them, but, um, you know, it's it doesn't hurt, or sometimes it can hurt you. So... I've had a bird come into a decoy, they see it, and they run away. And then you're not in a good mood after that. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, have you guys used any of those full strut decoys at all? We So we're on the same program as you. Um, we don't use, like, the fanciest of equipment. Um, Tom's got some hand-me-downs uh, from my grandpa that he uses, um, so I'll let yeah. him take over on that. But like I said, I don't typically use decoys. Like I said, I try and focus most of my attention on putting myself in an area that the bird can't see me until he's in range and it's too late well, okay yeah but yeah. tom he'll he'll break down what he does for decoys because i know he's pretty exclusive with using decoys 
So the only time I really use decoys is if I'm set up like on a field edge where I know, okay, these birds are coming out to the field every morning at eight o'clock or whatever, you know, you got them patterned, you know, that's where they're going to be. And I, I prefer, they have these inflatable decoys where they just fold right up, fit right in your back pocket on your turkey vest. And I mean, they're not the most realistic thing, but as far as carrying them around in your vest after you're done using them, I mean, it's like, you don't even know they're ne You don't even know they're there. It's not like this big bulky decoy, but so I use these inflatable ones, and if I'm hunting a field edge where I know these birds are coming out, I usually put out like two hens and a jake gobbler. And I've, a lot of the times, you know, you have, you know, a mature tom that comes out, and he sees this jake with these two hens, and he gets jealous and, you know, come in. And I've actually had gobblers that will try and fight, you know, the jake decoy. They'll spur it and stuff. And I know my grandpa, I was hunting with him one time, where he had this gobbler come up to one of his hen decoys and it tried to mount the decoy and it actually popped his inflatable decoy and <laughs> nice. it, but i mean it was <laughs> getting a little rough whether he yeah. was but um i mean i typically only hunt public or not public private land where uh -huh. i where i feel comfortable using a decoy where i know i'm not going to run into any hunters if i'm on i have hunted state land a little bit and I wouldn't use a decoy on state land because you never know who you're going to run into. Someone might see your decoy and think it's a gobbler and, you know, stalk you when, you know, it's really just a decoy. I've heard stories of people getting their decoy shot and I don't want to get myself in a position like that. So I avoid decoys on public land, but on state land, I typically only use them if I'm hunting an open field. You but mean like, private land? Yeah, private land. I'm sorry. I only use them private land and open field. And like Nick said, if I'm in the hard woods, I try and use the terrain to my advantage to try and make the gobbler come in where he has to come into range to see where that hen is standing. Right, right, right. Um, and that you know that does that is a good point with the state land with the with the decoys. Um, you know, I've watched. Uh, I don't know if you, do you guys watch the hunting public at all. Love them. Yeah, they're great. I like what they're doing. Um, I think it's great. I wish, you know, I wish this they came out with this ten years ago rather than watching all these guys shoot 180s all the time. It's a great concept. Um, I yeah, like. I think it's more. Hunting. It's way more relatable. Um, yeah, oh, and to see that these dudes are doing it on public land in New, I've seen them do it in New York, Pennsylvania, like everywhere yeah. that we're going. Uh, and it just it brings back that like, you know that it can be done. Like they're doing it. Um, so like it. I think it, I think in the past couple of years you've had a lot more people gravitating towards that public land, um, and, I, and I'm sure the hunting public has a little bit to do with that. Um, but there's a lot of yeah, oh yeah. good turkeys. There's a lot of good bucks on there, um, and they're proving that to people. Yep, and uh, you know I watch them and I see their taxes they use, and like like I was saying earlier, you know each state's different, and uh, all these act, and you know a couple times just use jig decoys. And they don't even put a hen out when the bird's coming in. Next thing interesting me, I'm like, try that this In their eyes, they're saying that the bird, you know, they see a jake, but they're looking for the hens and they're pissed off. So the tom is coming into that jake decoy. And I thought that's kind of interesting. I never thought about it like that. So that's something I might try this year is just carry a jake decoy with me and see where that goes. So, but. 
uh, you know, I'll probably end up just throwing the Jake decoy out in the in, in the in the trash <laughs> after it scares a few hunts up. But you never know. Who knows? I mean, it's it's something I've never thought of, and I'm definitely gonna try it. Just put a Jake decoy out, but you know, trial and error. That's all hunting is. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I've learned a lot from them. You know, on just hunting public land from just from them guys watching that series, and uh, it's definitely eye-opening. I'm, Know, some of the tactics they use and um and uh some of the uh you know like they, they're camping and you know all their stuff they use and it definitely it, tr- just to try to make it easier for you on on public land because it can be frustrating I mean, last oh. year i hunted a chunk i i probably saw 15 different trucks so yeah, that's tough. that was a weekend well they know? do that public land challenge every year where they pick one yeah. state um they do that with dan infault um, from yep. the hunting beast and that's another really knowledgeable guy to pay attention to as well oh yeah um, i learned a lot from him about that's even where i picked up using like milkweed and stuff for checking thermals um i always used powders and they dissipate so quickly and stuff and then dan was talking about using milkweed and that, that's a game changer when it comes to checking wind and it, it even shows you thermals um absolutely like you said that that uh public land challenge that they do is really really interesting to do and they actually did it up in like western new york last year which is pretty cool because that's right around i mean not right on the same property but that's right close to where the headquarters is um so speaking of the headquarters keith we have 116 acres of prime gobbler hunting private land that me and nick would like to extend an invitation directly to you to come out and hunt this this spring for some phenomenal gobbler hunting. We'll definitely have to plan a, uh, a morning or a night for a, w- a couple of days out. And uh, Oh, you got to make a weekend fun. out of it. Absolutely. Get and, the whole know, experience, stay at the cabin. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, do you, do you guys, yeah, do you have any public land around you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot okay, of public cool. land around there. I'm not uh, saying that your, your property is, you know, nothing compared to public land, but I'm just saying if we... we once we, once we get those, there. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the problem the problem with the property is there's only uh, one flock of birds, so yeah, it's it's tough to chase them all day, you know. So oh, you basically yeah. you've got a morning hunt on them. If it doesn't work, then yeah, you got to head over to the public land. Um, but like they said, we got plenty of public uh, to, to yeah. go and attack. Yeah, and and that's why I hunt a lot of public land is because a lot of the chunks of property I hunt on that are privately owned are only twenty to hundred acres. I mean, you know, if you if you're not shooting, you know, the birds aren't coming or working with you on that twenty acres. You, I mean, you don't have much to work with. Yeah. So that's, you got to bounce yeah. around. Hundred acres sounds like a lot until you're trying to turkey hunt it. Um, yeah. I mean, hundred acres is a lot of land, but if you're turkey hunting it, that's you really one guy small. can cover that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we even we put even several guys for bow, but yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Even camp, we put two groups out there in a weekend, and more times than not you end up running into each other at some point throughout your day you know so absolutely uh, yeah and uh there's actually a good chunk of uh of, of state land down the road i don't know if you guys are aware of that camp i actually am not aware of that so it's uh it's, it's in between uh the Grabskis facility and camp oh. and there's about i think i think it's two thousand acres oh wow hot um, dog Italy State Forest, yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely something you guys should check out, too. I've hunted it. I've worked birds on it. I never killed anything there, but there's potential there. So, 
Good deal. We'll definitely have to check that out this year. Yeah, absolutely. If we're still allowed to leave the state here in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Um, they just closed all of uh, New York's boat launches. So we'll see if if cancel turkey hunting. I'm gonna, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't want to say on the air what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we appreciate that you'll be staying home uh, if they make it so you can't hunt. Uh, yeah, I probably won't turkey hunt at all. Yeah, so. that's perfect. That's Glad to hear. Yeah, we believe you, buddy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, before uh, we wrap anything up here, uh, we're talking about doing a new segment here on the podcast um, that we were going to hit with you and see yep, how it goes. you're going to be the guinea pig. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the name is still up in the air. Right now we're at Cat Quick Questions. Um, Why not Quick Cat Questions? It sounds a lot like Kit Kat. Uh, hey, I might, might run into some problems. Yeah, so we're at Cat Quick Questions. Um, haven't uh, totally nailed that one down. That one's uh, just got a little bit of painter's tape on it. So not, for all you listeners permanent. out there, if you have a better idea, feel free to message us or leave it in a comment or something. Yeah, and we also have decided Pounce Questions is not on the table. So don't suggest <laughs> that. Uh, but basically what we're going to do, we're going to hit you with a couple questions. You know, basically like one word answer kind of questions just to... They're pretty lighthearted, uh, just to get to know okay. you a little bit better. Um, Absolutely. Like I said, it's going to go real quick, but uh, so we're just going to go right on down the list here. Uh, first one, what's your favorite camo pattern? My favorite, uh, I have to say, my new one's Predator Camo. Predator Camo? Okay. Yeah. Uh, favorite bow manufacturer? Matthews. Matthews. Uh, fixed or mechanical broadheads? Uh, mechanical. Uh, favorite animal to hunt? Uh, I, white tail. White tails. And then the last one we have on the list for now is your favorite famous hunter. Oh, but I would have to say Stan Potts. Absolutely, buddy. Oh, Couldn't man, you've got, you got three supporters sitting here at the table. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it either be Stan Potts or, uh, or, or Tom Miranda. I like him, too, a lot. Okay. He's, yeah. All so, right. Yeah. Like I said, we, we haven't uh, – like I said, we're just trying that out for now. Um, hopefully come up with some more questions in the future. But – just uh, something fun to, you know, break things up a little bit. Um, try and, like you said, keep them lighthearted. Don't get too controversial. Because, um, you know, people yeah, get absolutely. people get a little bent out of shape when you start talking fixed or mechanical and bow manufacturers. So it's like, a yeah, name it, we're not going to argue about it. Because, um, I mean, at the table right now, we have three people and all three of us shoot different bows. So, I mean, you're never going to totally agree on that. But Right. And, you know, technology changes every year and, and, you know, people need to understand that they're, I mean, I shoot mechanicals and I, I've shot fixed blades. I, I really don't have, you know, any preference to it, but I, I shot a good mechanical. I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to argue with somebody, you know, over it, but. Yeah, but. It's, um, I've shot them all and I'm actually right now I'm sitting on a hybrid that I shoot. Um, it's got two fixed blades and then two mechanicals. Um, yeah. And basically I was, I love, uh the guarantee of a mechanical i mean the guarantee of a fixed broadhead but i also liked the cutting diameters that your mechanicals offer so that's where i kind of fell into a hybrid uh broadhead but yep absolutely no and i did this year i wouldn't you know i wouldn't i would definitely try them so but i think you know a lot of hunters need to be more open open-minded on things for sure i say that yeah that's that's big um that's actually a good little segue another thing we that we do on every podcast with our guests is uh we call it write it in pen and it's basically a uh something that you as keith sharp 
can tell our listeners that something maybe you live by when it comes to hunting or just like some little phrase. Um, I know we've had people say, keep it simple um, or, you know, have fun with it, but something that maybe you really take personal when it comes to hunting that maybe you feel that that's why you're successful or something you live by in the woods that someone told you in the past. Uh, I would just say go the extra mile because uh, basically I'll give you an instance. Um, I don't know how much time you guys got, but we've got all the, the time I, in the world. So go for it. Look at the buck I shot at Morrison last year. I got out of the stand and I saw those deer and I got back up in my stand. Literally 30 seconds later, I had an arrow in a nice 10 pointer <laughs> because it was, it was cold. But if I went the extra mile, I wouldn't have to go all the way down and up. I wouldn't have got that buck if I went the extra mile. I, I mean, it almost sounds like you did go the extra mile. I mean, it, at well, least that's how I'm looking at it. The way I see that is you were, you know, tired of hunting or for the yeah. morning you were cold. You got down, you saw some deer and a lot of people at that point, they've already decided they're done hunting for the morning, but you saw a deer out there and you said, God damn, I'm getting back in the tree stand. So you went back up and I think that's why, and at least that's how I'm reading that. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. that's how I see that. Yeah. Cause you know what? I, I mean, I almost... I got down on the stand. It was it was just cold. It was I I mean that week in November. I think it was in the teens. Oh, I was with you that week. Uh, it was yeah. It was bitter we, cold. We weren't. Pre- I was not prepared for it. I didn't have the camo at the time. I didn't have anything nice. I was wearing vintage '80s camo. Oh, don't talk and... shit on vintage camo. All right. <laughs> I, I got a full one piece in tree bark. All right. Oh yeah, I, that thing is uh, golden. But uh. Anyways, I got back, I got down to the bottom of the stand, and I just peeked, and there was two does at, at probably 80 yards away from me that just got in the field. So I, I said, you know what, I better get in that stand. And uh, as soon as I got in the stand, I heard a deer grunt, and I looked, and there's a, a buck came out of the uh, the thicket and started chasing the does right to me. I didn't even have a, an arrow on my, on my bow strung, so I got the arrow on, and, uh, you know, not even in 30 seconds, I had a shot on a nice temp pointer. And basically, if I just got down and left, I wouldn't have got that buck, and I wouldn't have got a buck during archery season. So, go the extra mile, push you know, push your limits, and uh, you will you will be success- successful. So, appreciate that, and I think there's a lot of truth to that because I know, I mean, just with everything, I mean, either whether it's hiking in a little bit deeper or sitting for an extra half hour or whatever, going that extra mile is definitely going to add to your success. Yeah, even even turkey hunting. Uh, that last bird I shot last year, um, he gobbled 200 yards away, and uh, I was just about to get up, and then you know, I said, "Screw it, I'll give you 10 more minutes." Uh, 10 more minutes went by. I went to go get up. He gobbled at the end of the hedgerow. I mean, if if I just would have got up and picked my decoy up, you know, Bruce Jenner, um, <laughs> I wouldn't have got that bird. So I, you know, I gave it the extra mile, and and. Uh, you know, it's just going to be patient, and a lot of guys aren't patient anymore. They're just, you know, this screw this, and they, they go home. Well, that's not how you're going to get the big bucks or the big toms or whatever deer you want to shoot or whatever. So yeah, I mean, you gave us a little tour of the of your house before we started here, and if anybody's going to talk about making sure you get big bucks, it's you. I mean, you're, yeah, you yeah. got plenty of big ones on the wall, double-bearded gobbler roosting above your couch there. I mean, you got a good, pretty good setup there. Yep, yep. You guys got to come down and uh, come down one of these days up to old New York, up in up where I live, and have a have a night out on the town. That's 
you know, I'm I'm going to take you up on that as soon as this whole COVID yeah. thing ends. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to it. Well, Keith, I want to thank you for being our guinea pig on our question segment and on the podcast for doing these over-the-phone interviews. This whole COVID thing has really put a stop to bringing people over to the studio. Um, it's been rough, but we've adapted, and here we are talking for over an hour through the phone on there, and, you know, hopefully it's recorded. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing that we've uh, been talking about quite a bit uh, on the podcast during this whole coronavirus thing, you know, every governor's telling you to stay at home, stay at home. Um, but one thing that they haven't taken away is uh, the outdoors, and they all they all say you can go to your public lands, do what you want, um, and that's what we're all about here at White Cat. So we just want to make sure that uh, all of our listeners and everything are doing like we say each week and getting outside. And thank you guys. Thanks. It's an honor to be on the, on your podcast. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys soon. And uh, I just want to say good luck to all you guys in the turkey woods coming up. And I hope you all shoot big ones. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.